Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and Mayu Thaba. Mayu is not with us today in the preamble. What are you doing, Mayu? You're slacking two weeks in a row. Come on, man. No, I'm, uh, I'm just playing around. Mayu still moving his stuff to his uh, new house there in Durham. He, he's living the dream. So uh, he w- he's just been a bit busy over the past couple of weeks. I'm assuming that's probably what he's been focusing on. Me and Mayu just had a meeting today about getting some tax stuff done for our rental properties. That's not going to be fun. Hopefully you guys got started on your taxes early or you've been much more organized than Mayu and I have been. I've just found, and maybe I'm doing this wrong. If you guys know of a better way, make sure to DM me. I've just found that working with bookkeepers, it's, it's fairly difficult because I still have to scan, take photos of the receipt. And I get like 10, 15, 20 questions from the bookkeeper that takes me a few hours to put together an answer anyway. So I find that it's just more efficient if I do it myself. Obviously, that's not the best mindset to have. Maybe I just need to find a better bookkeeper. Maybe there's a better system I need to implement. Make sure to hit me in the DMs if you guys are doing something different that I'm just unaware of because tax season, never really happy when it rolls around. And I'm probably expected to pay the government a couple thousand dollars this year, I bet. Um, anyways, on my end of things on the wholesaling side, because I guess that's what I always update on. <laughs> on the wholesaling side of things, our new disposition manager has been hired. So for any of our Ontario property deals clients out there, the phone number will change and it will go to a new dispositions manager, Peter. You're going to get very familiar with Peter as well. An amazing dude, very bright guy, and very happy to be freeing some stuff off of my plate so I can work on some bigger picture things. Um, had two properties that we purchased. So I think that's four properties so far this year, if I'm not mistaken, not as quickly as I would like to buy, but also I want to be a bit more conservative as well throughout the year, but uh, four properties down so far. And what else is there on my end? I'm just trying to think because my, my life has just been chaotic. Um, more cash for keys conversations. Uh, Mayu and I had a property with one of her partners and the tenant moved in, stopped paying rent like literally after the second month. Um, fortunately, this could have been, well, actually it could have been a disastrous situation, but fortunately, instead of leaving it to the property manager to speak with the tenant, um, the property managers are, ended up issuing them and force as they should. I actually ended up calling the tenant. I feel like I'm doing some property management when shit hits the fence with these properties. I called the tenant, spoke to them, we built really good rapport. Um, and as a result of it, we came to an agreement. She was going to leave. We gave her $1,800, waive all sort of liabilities or um, yeah, essentially waive all sort of liabilities that she could have against us while living the property or in the future. So she decided to move out to a new place. Fantastic. And there was a non-paying, rent, uh, non-paying tenant, sounded like a professional tenant as well. But uh, that's what you get when you build good rapport. You can negotiate better with tenants and likewise with homeowners as well. Um, so that tenant is moving out. I actually already moved out. So the house is not vacant. Um, so, I mean, one month of unpaid rent, not the most terrible thing. It could have went a lot worse. And even better than that, the tenant left everything intact. They didn't end up destroying the property, which is fantastic. Usually when you deal with professional tenants, when they leave, 
they start like punching holes in drywall, start leaving all of the junk and garbage there. They actually cleaned up the mess and didn't try to tear anything down because again, like it's all about building good rapport. Um, what else is there on my end? So that's the tenant situation. Oh, we got an appraisal done on our sixth unit. We purchased it at $505,000. We got it appraised at 925 k a little bit lower than what I was thinking. I was hoping for, for the $1 million range, but still nonetheless, a really good appraisal, happy with it. Um, so going through the motions with the refi at the moment, that's everything going on in my life. We'll keep it nice and short this time around. We'll jump into today's podcast with Kathy Lee. Kathy is a phenomenal investor who has been investing in real estate for not too long of a time, but is an incredible action taker. She's gotten two coaches, has taken action into purchasing multifamily properties in Moncton, and also looking for apartment buildings now and expanding her business across the province for apartment buildings. She started off investing in Toronto condos and has since then branched into bigger and better projects in the real estate world. This is going to be an amazing episode, especially if you're a newer investor who is looking to break into the real estate realm. And it's amazing to see what someone can do in such a short period of time, transitioning from condos to smaller multis and now targeting bigger apartment buildings. So make sure to tune into this episode. And before we jump into it, like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support this podcast. It helps bring great guests out. And we want to try to get to 200. I think it was 250 originally, but I, I kind of lost hope on that. But we want to get to 200 reviews by the end of the year. So let's try to keep that up, guys, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Kathy. Kathy, how's everything going? It's good. It's good. How are you guys doing today? Doing awesome, Kathy. So, so for everyone that doesn't... Um, that doesn't know you why don't you just give us a quick background on how you got started in real estate and it's been quite the journey for you through a couple different avenues but um, just kind of a quick rundown and then we'll break it down for everyone yeah for sure so when i was um, in university i was at carlton studying my undergrad in architecture and design and okay. i ran a college pro painters franchise so for anyone who doesn't know what that is the student painting business and i essentially like did that in the summers and I really loved it. And that's like when someone in the franchise group introduced me to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I remember reading that when I was 18, running my first franchise. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is how I'm going to retire when I'm 35 and like not have to work anymore. And so I you know, started reading a couple more books. And unfortunately, I didn't get as into it as I would have liked at that time, because then I went on and finished my degree, ran another student painting business in my last year. And then was like, what do I want to do with my life? And I think the best thing about running that student painting franchise was you get to do like every part of the business, right? So you're doing sales, marketing, like accounting, payroll, operations. And of all the things that I did when I was running that business, the thing I most enjoyed was the sales aspect was actually like going into people's homes and giving them estimates and learning about them. And I was like, okay, let's do sales. Like that's what I want to do. And so I like kind of thought about more and I was like, I want to do business to business sales. So kind of taking it out of the consumer side and doing more business. Mm. Um, and that's how I started my career in tech sales. So I started my career at Cisco Systems. I've worked for Cisco and Salesforce and now work for a company called NetApp. And in that time, I just started buying properties and mostly all condos in downtown Toronto. And so I would essentially save up 20% of my work income 
and other investment income. And then I would buy a condo. And then I essentially did that four times in Toronto. And I'll be honest, like the last two times in Toronto that I did that, it just, the numbers didn't make sense. There was like- Did you never refinance your properties? You just kept saving up and, and buying the next one? Yeah. I, so I have in the last two years, um, since I started doing coaching programs, I've, I have been finance, refinancing in the last two years, but like I bought my first place in Toronto when I was 22. So like I, the money I made from college pro, I was able to put a down payment on a condo downtown. And then the four condos after that, I just saved up money. Mm. Right. And then two years ago, I started doing coaching and realized the power of refinancing and then started refinancing to purchase the other properties that I now have. Yeah. So the great thing about that is, is that I guess that book did really have an impact on you, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because most people in sales, and you can probably attest to this, Kathy, and it's the same with investment banking and all of these high income earning positions. A lot of that money doesn't go towards saving. <laughs> it goes into <laughs> buying fancy things, right? But you were disciplined enough to take all of that and reinvest that into assets. So that's awesome to hear. When you were buying condos in Toronto, uh, walk me through your logic there. Were you looking for a particular location? Were you buying in the suburbs and downtown? Could you walk us through your strategy when you were starting off? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I started, I just needed a place to live. Like I had moved from Ottawa to Toronto and I was like, okay. And I guess I kind of like a mini house hack because I've always bought two bedroom, two bath condos. So my best friend like has been living with me for the last seven years. I've given her a good deal on rent, but she's obviously that's always helped towards going towards my mortgage and other expenses. Right. Um, so kind of house hacked those condos in a way. And I just kept doing it because the condo market. So my purchased my first place back in 2015 and the condo market just like had been going up and up and up. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to keep buying condos because the condo market just keeps going up and not doing more research or learning more about it. Right. And at that time, it's like you're working and you're having fun and you're all those things like in your early 20s, I didn't learn more. I was like, this strategy works. I'm just going to keep like rinse and repeat this strategy over and over again. And then the last two condos, like I mentioned, like didn't work, right? I third place I bought, got under contract January of 2020, closed on in April of 2020. And then I had to liquidate a bunch of funds in March of 2020. And that's oh. when the market just tanked, right? Oh, and because no. I read the tech, so much of my like other investments in equities is in high tech growth, like high growth tech stocks. So those tank the most. So I was like selling big parts of my like investment stock portfolios at minus 30, minus 35% to pay for this new down payment on a condo that I've had for the last two years. I can, you know, it's funny is like, I live in one of these condos. I can see it like out of the periphery of my eye. And I hate it so much because I've lost money on it for the last two years. Like it has just been this big. When you say lost money, you mean you mean on like a monthly basis that the properties aren't cash flowing because of the main. It's not cash. Yeah, it's not cash flowing. It's been cash flowing negative for the last two years, um, mm-hmm. and it just hurts, right? But it's also one of those things where I have tenants in it right now. I know that I'm getting the equity paid on, even though I'm covering a lot of the expenses, and I probably will sell it at some point, even if I sell it at a loss, because of the opportunity cost of being able to liquefy that equity that's currently trapped in the property right now, right? Because I can't get more than 80, 20 loan to value on the property. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And even with the condo trajectory going up, if you refi it, that negative is just going to be a bigger hole burning yeah. in your pocket. Yeah. No, that that so when you were starting off with condo investing, I'm just curious, what was the cash flow like then? Like what were you picking up these condos for and what were you renting them out for? And yeah. what was kind of the net cash flow from there? 
So the first one we lived in for a long time. So I, like it was the mini house hack. And then the second place. So when I was 24, I moved to New York with Cisco and I got a big promotion and, you know, did that. And so I bought a pre-con at that time um, when I was in New York working. And that was in 2017 when I purchased it. It's still not done. And it was supposed to be done in June of 2021. And so right now it's projected to be done in 20 summer of 2023 or 2024. So yeah. yeah. So it's, it's pretty delayed. And obviously knowing what I know now, it's like, it sucks because that's, you know, by then it had been six or seven years of lost equity pay down on that property, Mm -hmm. even though by the time I close on it in 2023, 2024, like I'll have made a lot of um, appreciation from the purchase price that I got it in then. Right. So that's the second one. Um, the third one is the one that's been negatively cash flowing for the last two years. And then the fourth one I purchased last year, I currently live in and wow. it's my dream condo. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're going to live in it, it's a little bit different. Like the numbers don't necessarily have to make sense, but more matters just what's your expense on a monthly basis. And are you good with it? Right. Uh, yeah. So from here, so you, you got four condos, which I think personally, it's a pretty good portfolio, right? Like it's in high quality. Uh, like without knowing neighborhood specifics within downtown Toronto, right? Which for the most part is considered overall like pretty high quality, right? So, so where'd you go from there? Cause I, I, I kind of know your journey. I know you kind of explored a couple different avenues. I'm curious kind of what the thought process was leading up to where you are today, but you know, where'd you go after this? For sure. I was looking at, you know, I was like going for cash flow. I was like, I can't be in these negative cash flow situations and asset appreciation like speculatively asset appreciating markets, right? Because you never know what's going to happen. And COVID was a perfect thing to show me that because the condo market just did nothing. And like, you know, just plateaued pretty much for the last two years and starting to come up now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked into Calgary and got, I got another condo in Calgary. So I really <laughs> like condos clearly. So I bought a condo in Calgary, but like cash flowed off the bat. It was um, the, like, I joined a coaching program in 2020 and it came from one of the realtors in that program and, and she was awesome. And it came with three years property management and guaranteed rental income. And so I really, really liked that. And I think for me, just with the lifestyle that I was having or thought I wanted to have at the time, I really wanted more passive like I want to be on the passive side of active investing. So I want to own the assets. I didn't just want to do private lending and like investing in land development and things like that. I still want to own the assets myself just because you have more control over being the refinancing, the selling, you know, increasing rents and all that. But it was nice that like it cash flowed off the bat. And I knew that I was going to get guaranteed rental income for at least three years. And then at three years time, my mentality was like, we'll see how the Calgary market is. And I can determine what I want to do with it. So how, how then, is the Calgary market? Let's just quickly touch on that. Um, cause you bought, cause surprisingly, like, I don't know what's been happening recently, but I think a lot of realtors, especially the GTA are just starting to push like Calgary and like investing yeah. in Alberta and stuff like that. Investing in Alberta, I think is fine, but they're specifically pushing Calgary. I'm seeing a lot of like pre-con condos, pre-con like duplexes. It's just like the weirdest, I don't know what happened with like the commission structure. Like maybe they're targeting Toronto realtors now. So but, on my uh, Gmail, I registered yeah. for Toronto pre-con a while back. And now I'm seeing up all of these like Calgary <laughs> pre-con. Oh, I didn't register for this. Dude, some of my friends are like messaging me. They're like, hey, what do you think about this Calgary pre-con? Like, what? Like, ooh, like what's going on here? It's weird. Uh, but tell me, like, how's the Calgary market doing now? Do you, do you stay on top of it at all? Do you like have an idea? Like how's the rental market, vacancies, that, like, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So high level, what I've been seeing is that it's starting to go up, right? Like the Calgary market is starting to kind of take off. Also like investing in like having done some investments in the East coast now too. It's like some of these, I guess, markets are just really 
suppressed for a long time. And obviously, like Alberta is so dependent on oil and gas, Calgary, especially as well. Because um, we look at like if we talk about other markets like Edmonton, there's a lot more diversity in jobs. It's also the capital of Alberta. So there's more government jobs, too. But Calgary and Alberta as a whole has been like over you know, the last like decade to two decades has been pretty plateau. And so it's almost like this mentality um, that it's going to start to take off because just relative to other markets that have been growing, it's, it's time for it to grow. And I think we're seeing vacancy rates come down as well and more interest in Calgary because, you know, with being able to work remotely, Ontario and BC are just like people are just getting priced out. They just can't afford to live here. And if, and if they can work fully remote, you start looking in more of those other provincial markets in Canada that are more affordable. And I think that's also led to the boom in the East Coast as well, right? And New Brunswick, that was for a long time, a market that just hadn't really done anything or hadn't really grown too much. And also Alberta, which has also been pretty flat for the last you know decade plus, they're just more affordable. Yeah. And I know you're doing more stuff in, in Alberta, so we'll come back to that. But I guess, so you bought that condo and you've never really had much of an issue from a vacancy perspective. It's cash flow from day one. Um, yeah, cool. I will. I will say, yeah, it's cash flow from day one. I will. I will say that I, the challenge with not that like with having the guaranteed property management and guaranteed rental income is that you're not involved in the tenant screening process. And mm. so I have like two other friends that bought in the same like condo development because I shared like my mortgage broker. I shared it with him, and he's like, I want two. Like this is a great deal. And then my girlfriend bought a place too, and I'm the only one, unfortunately, uh, of that small group of the three of us that has had like a really troublesome tenant. So oh, no. I, I'm getting the guaranteed rent, but it's just like, and like, you know, to be fair, like my version of troublesome is nowhere close to other people's version of troublesome. Um, but just like, I'm not going to get into it. Um, just out of respect for, you know, but like yeah. just, I've just had more issues that I've had to deal with with that tenant than my other two friends who bought and my mortgage broker who's bought, bought in that development as well. Cool. So, so from Calgary, where, where did you go from there? Like what happened next? Okay. So what happened next was like, I remember just being like, I'm looking, I want to be a passive investor. I want to be like the money partner on the JV side of things because I really cared about passivity and having like the certain quality of life and time freedom. Um, and Riley, who's like someone who's now my coach, like he reached out, he DM me cause he kind of saw that. And then we got talking and, um, you know, it was like, wow, like really like the community that you guys have fostered. And started reaching out to people within the community and was like, maybe I do want to be more active. <laughs> um, and then I joined another coaching program and that would have been July of last year. And I, I love it. It's honestly been really amazing. I think it just shows you the value of like having a community around you that's doing the same thing and understands what you're doing versus like your family and your friends who aren't in that space, who just are like, you know, maybe like a little bit more negative or just, you know, concerned about your well-being and risk that you're taking on as well, but just don't have an understanding of it. So then we, I started looking into, uh, you know, it was like, okay, so let's look at markets where I can be more of an active investor, you know, doing more strategies like the Burr and like investing outside of, you know, Ontario. And so I landed on Moncton, <laughs> New Brunswick. And I honestly didn't even know where Moncton was like when it first came up. And to be to be quite frank, actually, Antonio was the one who put me in touch with uh, Moncton. And because he was like, I was looking at, I looked at all these places in Ontario and like I didn't really like any of them. And, and Antonio was like, what about Moncton or Edmonton? And he settled on Edmonton um, when we were in the program together. And then 
I started looking in Moncton. I was like, wow, Moncton like looks really awesome. You can one percent like at the time yeah. <laughs> last summer, you can one percent rule off the MLS. I was like, I can yeah. kind of be more passive and just buy like MLS properties and hit the one percent rule and still kind of have semi-turnkey properties where I have to do minor renovations. Um, and that's what I did. And I bought a duplex in Moncton and um, four townhomes in Moncton. And that's, you know, been going really well so far. Closed on both of those early this year. And then Antonio and I, you know, just clicked in, in the community. And he was like, based on what I understand, what your goals are and the fact that, I, you know, neither of us want to leave our day jobs because like, I think a lot of people do want to leave their day jobs, but for us, like we find a lot of fulfillment in, in our careers and we want to continue to grow and develop in our careers. And he was like, why don't we invest in apartment buildings together? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, that's really interesting. And we talked about that. Um, you know, we had a lot of conversations about it and we kind of defined why like investing in larger multis made a lot of sense for us. What's um, the reasoning there? Like why, why does it make a lot of sense for you guys? Let's talk about because all yeah. of a sudden you're doing condos and you did, I guess, the duplex in Moncton and the four, uh, depends how you look at it, maybe a fourplex or four townhouses, right? Individual mm-hmm. kind of units. Um, why then jump into doing the larger, bigger multifamilies? Yeah. Um, so I think bigger multifamilies, one thing that was really interesting is that you have a full-time, you can not always have a full-time caretaker or mm-hmm. full-time like property manager that works in that building, right? So obviously, if you structure like smaller building, like smaller multis or smaller single family homes in your portfolio, really well systems, you have property management companies, good property managers that handle that too. It's like a similar structure. It's just that you're getting the economies of scale of being like, okay, now I have a 15 unit, 20 unit, 40 unit, 100 unit building. And I have a one full-time caretaker property manager or multiple full-time caretakers designated to that one building and I'm getting the economies of scale of having many, many units. And that, and that's like one thing, right? And you just have build the systems in place for that one building versus having many like, you know, buildings, like separate, like smaller buildings with like a system of property management. So the one con I will say is that it's definitely harder to do a burr on an apartment building and refinance that and refinance the money out versus a smaller multi that's under a um, residential loan versus a commercial loan. So I think that's like one thing we're realizing. So it's more of a long-term play, right? Like you're going to ideally get some cash flow, but you're probably not going to get a crazy refinance in the first little while, right? But the other thing too is there's less work then as well once you stabilize the building because you have that full-time caretaker or full-time property manager, so, so why are you saying that it's it's harder to burr? I guess I guess I'm trying to understand that. So, from a commercial loan perspective, um, so actually, let's, let's let's jump into the deal that you guys are are kind of looking at, at now. If you guys are okay with that, um, yeah, you guys, sure. I think, are looking at was it a, a 15 unit? Yeah, 15 unit apartment building in Edmonton right now. Okay, and, and so I, I know we're gonna have to come back in a circle to this, and we never really talked about <laughs> why you guys ended up going back to Edmonton. I guess Antonio was yeah. there, but. Um, so from a 15 unit perspective, like what do numbers generally speaking look like and why would you, cause Alberta, you know, very favorable landlord rules. You can, I guess, increase the rent. What is yep. it at the end of a year or something like that? Right. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, there's no rent caps and I'm not sure like the exact timeline, but there's no caps on increasing rent and it just kind of, kind of goes with the market. Right. Yes. So you'll, but like with Alberta, you've also seen like drastic drops in rent too in the last 10 years. 
because of the way their market has been. Wouldn't you be able to refi in a year's time? Because if you take the year to increase the rents, right? Um, and, and multifamily buildings are valued based on the cap rate, right? So, so really, yeah. as long as you increase NOI, cap rates stay constant. Um, you'd be looking at a higher value anyways after about a year, right? So I guess, what are you guys seeing that could really slow you guys down from your ability to burn at the end of a year or a year and a half, call so, it? I guess the main thing is that it's harder to get the deal on the buy, right? Because when you look at burring, a lot of times you're getting a property that's under like, you know, hopefully drastically under market value, right? So you're already getting like a, a certain amount of like money on the buy. And the, re- the reason why the sellers are motivated is because they've like undergone like the seven D's, right? Like distress, divorce, like whatever, you know, like there's some reason why they're selling and they're they're willing to sell for under market value. Whereas like people who own apartment buildings tend to like, and this is like a generalization, but have their stuff together. Right. And, and they know what they're doing. Um, Harder to find those deals, like those really good deals, like under market value. And because there's just obviously much less, like fewer apartment buildings and there are single family homes or smaller multis that exist. There's just the much smaller demographic of people that own, like there's a much more higher concentration of more people that own many of those buildings yeah. versus like, you know, a husband and a wife who are going through divorce and they just want to get out of the house ASAP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So, so that makes sense. So I think in today's world as well, like just given the significant demand for multifamily and what we're seeing, um, especially from a financing world and, and so many different things that you're seeing from favoring multifamily investments. Um, people are essentially selling for a little bit more than what it might be worth based on today's numbers and like mm-hmm. some, a, a, a bit less than what it's worth based on the projected rents that they know you'll be able to get. Right. Cause these are usually investors that know their shit that are selling these properties. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. We're looking at a price per door, price per unit perspective nowadays. Like no one's taking a look at cap rates anymore, as we always talk about. Uh, and yeah. I guess it also depends on how you're defining a refi, Kathy. If I'm not mistaken, like you could refinance it, but it's not as much capital as you'd like to pull out. Is that what you? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, I think there's. I and we're starting to go through that process now. So this is a learning process for me too, right? It it just seems like the process can be longer. And ideally, when you have a building, you want to get a CMHC loan. Right. And getting that just takes so long. Too. It's like, yeah. like kind of like a four to six month time frame um, to get that. So you just have to be more creative. Um, there's a lot more thought that goes into it as well um, versus like a residential loan where you can just, you know, there's so many banks or lenders you can shop at and get a loan more quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like just the dollar amount is less too. Right. So if you want to take private lending, it's not, as much capital as you would need to buy a building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. So I just want to quickly talk about Edmonton. Cause I think we kind of skated over that. Right. So you went from Moncton back to Edmonton and I'm curious what led you down that route. Um, what do you like about Edmonton? I guess. Before we get into that, like we're, we're talking on the topic of refinances and I'm just curious, you said you're refining your condos to purchase these new properties. So are the condos still cash flow positive or what was the decision between refining it and just not selling it off? I think it was just more so like refis are awesome because you're not paying tax. Right. And that's huge for me. And because, and so one of the things is like my income is pretty high. And so I don't mind being cash flow negative on some of my, my properties because so many of them are my personal name right now. So I can balance out um, the cash flow positive properties for the cash flow negative properties. 
And that just kind of helps me with my high T4 income as well. Yeah. Right. So I'm, and I know I'm still getting the appreciation on the asset overall. Um, so when I do sell in the future, I'm still like seeing those gains. Ideally, you don't want to be in a cash flow negative situation, right? Like in the future, I'm going to sell these, I'm going to slowly sell out the condos when the timing makes sense or when they're no longer tenanted. Um, yeah. And then like, it's an opportunity cost thing of, can I invest elsewhere and then put them into the corp? Because I haven't started putting all the properties into corps either. So pretty much most of my properties are in my personal name. But once you start thinking about corp structuring and grow through corp structuring, then that won't matter because it's not going to impact my personal income unless I'm taking money out of the corp, right? Yeah. So I, I just want to quickly touch on that. I think um, most most people like hear this notion of like cash flow negative and they think like, oh, like you can't have any investment properties that are cash flow negative. And the reality is like you can have like one or two properties that are cash flow negative if you have them for various other reasons, right? Like emotional reasons, like you used to live in one, right? Like you can have a property because you want to have a property in the GTA. That's perfectly fine. You want to head your investment, stuff like that, right? It's just more so you can't build a portfolio of like a hundred units bleeding on like every single one. And like that, you know, then you're, then you're kind of set up for trouble. Right. Uh, but that being said, now that Austin's letting me get back to my question of Edmonton. So um, I just want to understand, right. Like, like why Edmonton, what do you like about Edmonton? Why not do Calgary over Edmonton? And then why not do the other cities? Cause there are, there are some other places in Alberta, I think that are, that are decent sized cities. Um, like why do you guys really zero in on Edmonton? So I think the first thing is just, um, focusing on one area helps a lot because you can build your power team in that area, right? So you have all the contractors and people that you need in that physical geography uh, to help you out. Because a lot of times, like we do that front end work before we even start investing in that area. We like call all the contractors and people that we would need to reach out to in advance of actually investing. So you've already built that power team there. Um, and you don't want to spread yourself too thin by not having the power teams in place in certain cities or geographies. Um, the second thing for what, and, and not to say that we're not open to investing elsewhere, right? It's just that we're starting with this, with a sense of focus. Um, the second thing is that Edmonton is the capital of Alberta, right? So you just like, and I was shocked when we started doing research, like Edmonton's 1.4 million people. Like it's a really big city, you know, it's like around the same size as Ottawa. And a lot of the jobs in the area are government jobs. So you have that stability of knowing that you have more di like economic diversity from um, an industry perspective, right? Like it, Edmonton didn't take as much of a hit, you know, with all the things that have been happening around oil and gas and commodities in Alberta versus Calgary and some of the other cities in Alberta, right? So we're thinking about if, you know, things happen with, you know, Alberta, which tends to be more oil and gas focused in that space you know, Edmonton's going to be, it's still going to take a hit, but it's not going to take as much of a hit as Calgary would. Right. And like you said, it's kind of like, you can take that risk if you want, but it's like, how much of your portfolio do you want to have for that risk? Right. Um, when you start thinking about a portfolio of a hundred properties, you know, maybe you want to take some risk in markets like Calgary and other cities, or even Toronto, like where you're going to speculate on appreciation, but you're going to be negative cash flow. Right. But the bulk of your portfolio ideally would have the fundamentals of asset appreciation and cash flow. Right. And then the other things that you can do to force appreciation, like renovations and, and through increasing rents. What are you seeing right now in the Edmonton market? A lot of competition. When you locked up that 15 plex, was that on market, I assume, off market? Yeah, it was like conditions. Walk me through kind of that, that stratosphere. 
Yeah, it was on market. And so we're working with commercial realtors in Edmonton. And so, uh, which is a different world as well versus residential realtors. I think the world of commercial realtors is that you kind of have to prove yourself to them versus residential realtors where, you know, I think the stats are like one in 50 people in Canada have like the realtor's license, right? So obviously huge spectrum of good versus bad versus mediocre realtors in that space. But we have only been looking on, on market right now. We're starting to ramp up. Oh, so by we, I mean Antonio and I. So Antonio and I are business partners. He's been on your show before and we're starting to ramp up ramp up our off-market investment strategies. I think that the big thing too is like the smaller multi-space, we lock this up being okay to walk away from the deal. We want to go through all the due diligence and negotiation process um, and learn what it was like. And there's no better way to do it than actually locking up a deal and going through it, right? And at the price that we currently have it under, the deal doesn't make sense. So if we can't negotiate that price down with the seller, then we're going to walk away from it. And this is before we you know, paid for like a building inspection or ESA like, and all that stuff, right? We've just paid the deposit right now and we're still going through the due diligence process. Yeah, that's perfect. Because uh, I think like from a due diligence perspective, no one really considers how much more this stuff costs, right? Like uh-huh. um, like bought a nine plus off Austin, that one cost me almost like three grand for an inspection, right? Cause they got to inspect every single unit. Um, yeah. So a single family would cost you two to 300, at least multiply that by like nine or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And then ESAs appraisals cost a lot more. I'm paying $10,000 for an appraisal right now, which is fucked, but like, it's kind of like the, the nature <laughs> of it. Right. Um, so like all this due diligence does cost you guys money, but it sounds like you guys are renegotiating well in advance of having to incur too much in the way of cost, Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do. I did want to touch on one thing because you said you know getting in getting in touch with the commercial appraiser and kind of proving yourself to them. Um, what's that process like? Because like as much as we've like personally you know I've bought commercial ish properties right, but I've always just used uh, residential realtors right. So, so what was your reasoning to go hunting for the commercial appraiser or realtors, and um, how did you kind of demonstrate yourself to them? Yeah. So we just were networking internally and um, actually one of our coaches put us in touch with the commercial realtors out in Edmonton. And our coach told us that it's really important that you prove yourselves to the commercial realtors because it's a different game. It's a different space. And um, it's the whole going back to the whole people who are selling apartment buildings tend to have their stuff together and they're more savvy investors. Right. And so we just you know, work continually in con like it's it's not easy things, right? And I think like working in sales, like so much of what you realize, it's it's the simple things of relationship building. It's just being a nice person, like a reasonable person, and just being like having good communication skills and being in good communication with people. Like it's just it's the simple stuff of and then also just making sure that they know that you are motivated. Right. And not taking up too much of their time and also providing value to them um, in other ways. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll still see what happens with with the deal and future deals. But the challenge with buying on market right now is that, like, I feel like all of Canada is such a seller's market that we aren't even finding great deals, you know, on the MLS either, even with the commercial realtors who have access to commercial listings and pocket listings, there's like just sellers just have this mentality of like these prices in their minds that they want to sell the buildings for and they won't sell for anything less. I just had a curiosity. So with your 15 plus, what 
how have you guys determined what's your max allowable offer, like a good or bad price? Because I, I would imagine it's a bit different than the residential side. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is really similar, um, to be totally honest. It, it's just you're just scaling up. Right. And we obviously are also more conservative with certain numbers and things that you have to consider, like when you get like there's higher interest on commercial loans. Right. We're not going to you're not going to get the same interest rate on a commercial loan. You're going to it's based on um, like the DCI, like the debt service ratio of the building. And so like what's that projected to be? Um, you're going to get typically a low, like a lower LTV loan to value on the buildings as well. Like typically in commercial, you're going to see like they want minimum 25% down, uh, or 30 or 35, depending. And they also take into consideration like your net worth and your track record, which is another interesting thing as well in residential. I like, and my, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, since you're a mortgage specialist, right. They just want to see that you have the funds for the 20% down and that your income can support yeah. the building. Whereas like when you get into commercial, they want to know that the building income can support itself. And they just want to know that you, they want to see what your track record is with investing. And then even the down payment doesn't necessarily have to come from yourself, right? Like they're more like lenders are more willing to take on unsecured lines of credit, private lending um, for the down payment as well. Yeah. They just want to make sure that the property, the multifamily property will stand alone on itself, right? Without you as a shareholder continuously kind of injecting capital. And they very much just treat it and value it as a business, right? As, as it kind of should be for us. So uh, it does make more sense, to be honest, than, than residential financing. Quick question there. So are you guys like determining the value ARV based off, like I assume all market rents um, using a cap rate? And is that how you're, you're working backwards from your expenses, the turnovers? And then figuring out what your max allowable offer is by doing that. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. And the challenge with this building is turnkey. And that's where it's hard, right? There's yeah. not a lot of opportunity for us to really increase the value of the building. And it's um, rented out for slightly below market rents, but like mm-hmm. not, there's not a huge opportunity to increase rents either. Because um, the thing in buildings is like you want to be able to increase revenue and then decrease expenses. Right. So the challenge of the turnkey building is that there's not a whole lot of opportunity for either of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe we're just not getting creative enough. And obviously we're still learning as, as we go too. Um, but that's how we, that's how we came up with our max price per unit is really going backwards from the max rent that we can get per unit mm-hmm. and then factoring in the vacancy rate as well. Yep. No, that totally makes sense. Perfect. So Kathy, generally at this time, like I think you've had quite the journey. I think, uh, you know, a lot of different nuggets about how you got started in real estate, going to Moncton. We didn't talk too much about Moncton, but we, <laughs> um, and then really just that Edmonton market, understand kind of why you guys invested there and, and what the strategies are that you're implementing for the commercial real estate. Right. Um, so generally at this time in the podcast, we like to ask our guests kind of two main questions, right? Um, the first is being for newer investors that are getting started today. So imagine someone getting started on their first or maybe second property. Um, what's one of the main risks that you see in today's market for them? Yeah, I think right now we're in such a seller's market across Canada. And so don't let ego get in the way of making good buying decisions, right? So I find that sometimes people like close on properties for the sake of closing on properties to be able to say, I have X more doors now, Um, but the property doesn't actually make sense, right? And now you're taking on this risk and the whole point of like, remember why you started doing it. Right. And don't 
do stuff just to be able to say that you've done it or to increase like the number of units in your portfolio. I think that's a big thing, especially because we're in such a seller's market and it is, it definitely is like a little bit harder to find deals, but that just means that you have to work harder to find good deals or get more creative in making the deals work. Well, hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's well said. So the second question is, where do you see yourself five years from now from business goals perspective? Oh, that's such a tough one because, you know, trying to be open about what you can, what life looks like then too. Um, I guess it's just personally, I would love to just have location freedom and just be able to work from wherever I want. That's a big thing. And that was one of my whys for why I started investing in real estate. Um, but you know, ideally we would grow this apartment building portfolio to a point where it's, you know, it's, it's so hard to say that it's so hard to like, think about what, what could be possible because, you know, every several months now, it feels like what is possible just increases dramatically. Um, and that's so crazy to think about as, as well, because then it's like constantly being open to other opportunities and what your future could look like when, you know, when, before, when I was like, just had my job and my condos, um, it, like the things I'm doing now weren't even in that realm of possibility. So it's, it's hard to say because it, you're, it's, you're having exponential growth. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's really hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Awesome. Kathy, really appreciate you jumping on. It's been a pleasure to see your journey and you like it, you've been making leaps and strides since you started investing, starting with condos, moving to different pockets, long distance investing multis, and now jumping into apartments. Um, and I'm sure with uh, your continued investment into real estate, into coaching, into self-development, we're going to see you with multiple apartments by the end of the year. And we'll need to chat further once, once that does happen. If people want to reach out to you, contact you, learn more about your journey, how could they do so? Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram is Kathy Lake Properties. That's C-A-T-H-Y-L-E-I Properties. And then Facebook, it's my full name, Kathy Shuo Lay. Shuo is S-H-U-O. And then my website, kathylay.com as well. Perfect. Awesome. So all of the links to that will be in the show notes below. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support this podcast. Give Kathy a follow down below as well and uh, show her some love there. And um, yeah, until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.